Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, if you have your Bibles... Go ahead and turn to chapter Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 13. As you're going there, I'm going to give you a little setup on what we're going to be reading today. Uh, Matthew 11 and Matthew 12 is where we were the last two weeks. We record every message. You can go online and listen to them if you want to catch up. But essentially in 11 and 12, Jesus, Matthew is telling us, he's the writer, he's telling us what Jesus Uh, what Jesus' posture was towards the people of Israel, just the common folk up in the northern region around kind of where he was hanging out, but also um, in uh, the religious attitude. So the people uh, who were entrusted with kind of caring for the people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some of the people who had given themselves power, not that God had given them power, but the priests and the scribes as well, um, they were uh, kind of caught up in the mix of of the way Jesus, uh, how they were responding to Jesus. So in Matthew 11, you see how the common people are responding to Jesus in a way that's kind of just um, indifferent. They don't really have an opinion. They kind of don't really care either way. And then Matthew chapter 12, last week, we saw this strong opinion of the Pharisees towards Jesus where essentially they just said, like, like, it's not that we don't have any feelings about you. We have strong feelings about you and we don't like you at all. And we're gonna start plotting your demise. Well, in Matthew 13, uh, the writer pivots from the uh, rejection of the people into parables. Now, parables are interesting because parables are essentially everyday stories that have some deeper spiritual meaning. And the purpose of a parable is it's designed to expose the real you. It, it sets, it's a story that sets up Um, uh, um, a situation where you have to respond to it in a way that exposes your heart. And the way that Jesus taught these um, is essentially um, walking through normal everyday life for these people. A lot of these guys were fishermen, they were farmers, so they understood that language. So Jesus wrapped stories in languages that they understood to expose where they really were as far as their hunger, hunger level, whether they actually wanted God. Because what you had was like thousands of people surrounding Jesus when he would teach, these huge crowds coming up, right? Well, how, how, how is it that we know that like all of these people were sold out and they were there for the right reasons to see Jesus? Well, the parables are the things that expose their heart. When Jesus started teaching about this stuff, all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, it's kind of hard for me to hide the fact that I'm just here for a free lunch because this guy can create bread and fish out of thin air. I don't really care what he has to say or how I'm going to obey it. I'm just here for the show, which is what a lot of our churches are filled with every week. People who are here for the show. They don't treasure Jesus. They don't love him. They don't actively find ways to get rid of the junk in their life that is pulling the affections of their heart so there is room for him to sit on the throne. No, there's, there's other things sitting on the throne. Hobbies are sitting on the throne. Our families are sitting on the throne. The throne is essentially, the, it's, it's the throne of our heart. It's who's ruling, it's who's reigning. And for a lot of us, it's us. We're sitting on it. We're, we're the end all. We're the one who make the decision about what is best for our lives. It's not him but we get caught up in the crowd on Sunday mornings. A lot of us are coming together and it's hard to tell who really treasures Jesus and who is here because they feel like they have to be. 
Well, parables have a way of, they expose the hearts of the people in the first century, and they expose our hearts too. The beauty of a parable is that it doesn't really carry its meaning on the surface, but it acts kind of like a mirror to expose our true self. So what I want us to do today as we're reading through this is this is the story of Jesus reading these parables to these guys. I want the parables to penetrate us as well. In the same way that Jesus is standing there in front of all these people, and Matthew's telling us how this happened, that Jesus is essentially holding up a mirror and telling these stories and saying, look, I want you to see the real you. I want us to do the same thing. I want us to imagine ourselves as being in that crowd as Jesus is teaching, and I want the parables from Christ's mouth to penetrate you so that you start considering things that previously you thought were not worth your time considering. Amen? So that's what we're doing today in Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna read through the parables and we're gonna see how they apply and question and push on the little areas of our life that we thought that we surrendered, but we really haven't because we like getting our way. We like having things our way. We like having the, the final word. It's the reason why we keep getting in those same fights and arguments online and with the same people, because we want to make sure they understand where we stand on things. But deep down, it doesn't stop there. We don't just want them to understand where we stand. We want to change their mind on some things because we want to remind them that they're wrong. Well, if we approach the parables right with the correct posture, we're approaching it from the perspective that we have got it all wrong. And the only thing that's got it right is this, right? So what we're doing is we're saying this thing has authority over the way I think and the way I feel and the way I live. So it's no more what I think or what I feel or the way it should be. It is what Christ says it should be, amen? So that's what we're weighing today. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 13, let's start with verse one. I'm gonna read through a bunch today because he actually gives a parable, then there's some discussion, then he gives some explanation and I want it all to be wrapped up in together. So let's start um, with Matthew 13, one. It says, so the same day Jesus went out of the house. So this is tied into chapter 12. So this is right after the situation with his mother and his brothers and the the Pharisees coming in and accusing him of casting out demons by the power of, of the devil. That same day, he went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, so this is a guy, he's kind of tossing out seed. And as he sowed, some of the seed that the guy threw out, it fell on the path and the birds came and they devoured it. Sayonara, seeds, those are gone. Well, other seeds that the guy threw out fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Well, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and they choked them out. But other seeds, they fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So he who has ears, let him hear. So then the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why do you speak to everybody in parables? And he said to him, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. 
but he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. They hear me, but they don't hear me. They see me, but they don't see me. And that's why I teach in parables. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. And you will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Oh, so this is interesting. Okay, so, so why has it been given for them to understand the, king, the secrets and, and not others? Because in verse 15, for the people's hearts have grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And then I would, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see. What are they seeing? Jesus and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So hear then the parable of the sower. This is where he answers your question. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a little while, but when tribulation or persecution arise, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it, prov it proves unfruitful. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. So he's teaching in parables, and he tells his disciples in verse 14 that one of the reasons why he's teaching in parables is to fulfill prophecy. He's doing this because it was told that the coming Savior would teach in parables, and therefore Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by teaching in parables. And so by doing this way, he's essentially providing evidence to the people right in front of them that he is who he says he is. Jesus, how do we know that you are who you say you are? Well, you know Isaiah, right? You familiar with him? I'm doing exactly what he said I would do. So I'm fulfilling exactly what was supposed to happen. So that's part of my credentials. That's how you know it's me because I'm doing what he said I would do. So anyone looking for a sign could see his teachings as evidence. But as we said at the beginning of this, the other reason why he teaches in parables is because it exposes the people's heart. And as we see in 15 and 16, it exposed that the people he was talking to had dull hearts, deaf ears, and blind eyes, which meant none of them were turning in repentance, which is dangerous because what that means for us is that hard hearts will rob you from seeing Jesus even when he's in your midst. Even during a time of worship like we just had, 
where it feels like the spirit is moving up and down, the, the, almost like he's hovering over the waters like he was at creation. You could, you could feel the spirit of God in this place. With a hard heart, you're like, man, I don't see what all the hoo-ha is about. Why is everybody shouting so loud? Put your hands down, I can't see the words. Maybe we can tone it down just like we're at 11. Maybe this is church, not a football game. Maybe we'd be like five or six. A hard heart robs you of seeing the joy of Jesus in, in your midst. We're seeing it in these people and we're seeing it, if we're honest with ourselves, we're seeing it in our own hearts. Because the moment the word starts to get read, we're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Some of this stuff's probably true, but a lot of it's probably outdated. This stuff was, this was written a long time ago. Society's progressed a lot since this stuff came out, so maybe we could just kind of not talk about some of this stuff. Hard, cold hearts make your ears deaf and your eyes blind to the things that God is doing right in your midst. Now, Let's look at the parables and see what he's trying to say to these people and to us. The first parable was about seeds and soil. Now, he tells us in the explanation, praise God, he gave us the explanation, that the seeds are the word of God. That's really important. The seeds are the word of God. Now, for these people, the seeds are actually Jesus' words. He's speaking these words right now. Now, for us, the word is this. This is the word. This is what God chose to reveal to mankind about himself. This is what God wants us to know about him. This is the word. So when we talk about the word, this is it. What's in here? All of it. It was written over 1,500 years. Every piece of it is the word. This is what he wants us to know about him. So what we're deciding here when we're looking at these parables is if this is the word, then how does this word penetrate us? For those who hear the word without understanding, we're told they lose that understanding to the enemy. If your heart is hard, you can sit in a church service and hear a word preached with boldness, but because your heart is hard and you don't want the kingdom of God, you want your way, you're not going to have the, the, the seeds penetrate your heart in any measurable way to grow because as soon as you leave this place, you're thinking about lunch, you're thinking about your Sunday afternoon nap, and the enemy is going to come in and steal the seeds and you're not going to think about this another moment. For some of you, it's happening right now because you have already tuned me out and you're looking at Facebook on your phone or you're checking sports scores. You're do some of you have already checked out. You haven't even left this place. It is an indication of the condition of your heart. You are cold and hard and it doesn't matter how much seed is tossed, it's not going to sprout seeds because you are preoccupied and concerned with the affections of this world. There are other things stirring your heart besides Jesus. You don't really want him, or you think that you can want him and this other stuff, and you're believing a lie. The enemy's gonna steal that seed, and it's never going to produce any fruit. There's also people who hear the word and receive it but the moment tribulations come their way, it gets choked out and it doesn't produce anything. There are people who hear the word, they receive it, 
They hear the word preached, they, they read it for themselves, they're receiving it, but it gets choked out by the cares of money and your calendar being too full, too many things for you to do. You get choked out because of the cares of this world and because of stuff. But then there are those who hear the word, receive it, and they bear fruit. So the question as we're reading the parable is this, how do you respond to the word? And I am talking about right now, as you're hearing the word being taught, but I'm also talking about all of the times that you hear the word. I'm talking about when the spirit is speaking to you on a daily basis as you go along your day. I'm talking about in your private time when you're reading or when you hear somebody else talking about the word. Any time that seeds are sown by being exposed to the truth and to the word, this parable begs the question to us, how do I respond? Does the word bounce off of me because I'm not paying attention? because other things are pulling my affection? Does the word um, fall away because um, I get caught up in drama and difficulty and trials? Because in my life there is just constantly something going on, there's always a fire I've gotta put out, and so the word is not ever really bringing any, any measurable peace in my life, because all I'm doing is running around, attending to drama, some I create, some I allow into my life. Is the word getting choked out because of money and excess, because I can't stop buying stuff, because I, I fill my calendar with work and I take constant opportunities for overtime because I am just chasing money to pay bills and pay off stuff that I bought that I didn't have money for. I'm, I'm still trying to pay off debt because I said yes to stuff I shouldn't have two years ago and I'm still paying the price for it. Or when the word comes forth, am I bearing fruit in my heart and those little corners of the world that God has called me to. That's the beauty of it. Some are producing fruit in a hundredfold, in sixtyfold, in thirtyfold. What does that mean? That means you may be a grandpa and you got this one little corner of the world that God has called you to, and He's saying to you, Look, I. I don't, I don't need you to be some evangelist traveling the nations, preaching to 10,000 people. What I need you to do is I need you to be fruitful with these little grandkids right here and this little people that I pulled in close in your neighborhood. And, and this is right here. This is where I want you to be fruitful, right here. And I want you to stop worrying about what you're not doing or what you should be doing. I just want you to be fruitful right here. Or mom, you're, you're like, man, there's, oh, there's so many things I should be doing besides just taking care of my kids or just, just tending to these specific things with this job or, 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 or this one, or, 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 or guys, you run in your late 30s, you feel like, man, I should be farther along. I, I, I just, I'm hitting that midlife crisis thing and I'm just not happy with where I am. When the word penetrates you, you start understanding, no, no, I, I don't need to strive for more or achieve greatness in the eyes of the world. God has placed me exactly where I need to be, right here in this town, and what I need to do is work on just being fruitful where he's called me and stop worrying about the thing that other people are doing that I wish I had that he hasn't given me. Because what's happening is you're struggling with jealousy because you're saying that if I was God, I wouldn't have given that stuff to this guy, I would have given it to me. And so you don't know what you're doing. I wish you'd just let me take the wheel for a little while. I, I promise you this would go infinitely better if you just let me 
push the gas. Let's just go, let's go. Jesus is like, no, I don't want you to go. And that's why I keep putting these roadblocks in your way. Because what I want is deep roots, not you to being able to go fast. I don't want more, I want quality. Sometimes quality looks like a lot less. So he's, he's, he's giving us these parables and he's begging this question that we have to wrestle with. Now this is the thing, these, these principles, they need our attention. You cannot just run through this and be like, oh yeah, okay, well, uh, yeah, I understand that Jesus is saying that the word, it penetrates different people's hearts. Uh, different. Okay, I, I, I mentally, I understand what that means. What's next? Let's go to verse 24. No, 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 no. You got a hard pause on that for the rest of the afternoon, for the rest of the week. You cannot be too quick to jump off of this because this, what he's teaching, begs a revisit every single morning. This, this absolutely has to do with when you first get saved. Right, when your first transformation moment, am I gonna follow Jesus when he called my name or am I gonna say no, I don't want any part of this? But this is also an everyday thing because when the word is cast onto our hearts, you have to be diligent to tend the soil so that every time the seed falls, it's falling on good ground and not a cold, hard heart. Because if you don't, then you're gonna sit in church services for the next 20 years and never change. And that is one of the greatest problems with church folk in this country. That we think that just by showing up to a thing or participating to a thing is enough. That getting some kind of participation trophy because you have never missed a Sunday is enough. It is not enough. That's not even in the ballpark of what Jesus was talking about. What he's looking for is deep transformation. He's not looking for a shinier version of the old crappy you. He wants that guy in the ground dead so that you can be raised to new life and a completely different light. You are a new creation. That's what this is about. It's about transformation. So if you're not letting the word penetrate your heart for the end goal of a different, changed, resurrected, transformed you, you're wasting your time. Don't go back to church. Stop going to church if that is your game. You are wasting your time. You should go fishing. (laughs) But for those who have a tender heart and want to treasure him above all other things, then when you show up and when you hear what you want most is those seeds to get down deep, to say, no, I don't know what's best. I grew up thinking I do, I've been taught that I do, but I don't, I don't know what's best for me. I need him above all else. I need to stop treasuring my own opinion and treasure his. I surrender. Finally, you're gonna start seeing roots and fruit like you've never seen. Go to verse 24. I can't believe that pastor just told me to go fishing and stop going to church. (laughs) Verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed seeds among the wheat. And then he went away. 
So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you know, um, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds among it? And he said to them, the enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go out and gather them? He says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat also. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. And then he put another parable for them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what is hidden since the foundation of the world. So then when the crowds... When, in, uh, when he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples came, came to him again and says, all right, Jesus, <laughs> please explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. What does that mean? And he answered them. Well, I love the way he answers it. Like, this is as clear as it gets with Jesus. Um, all right, guys, um, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Man, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Thank you, Jesus. That's helpful because had not, if I didn't have that clarification, I would start thinking that the, uh, the interpretation of the weeds in the field would be the local church. So you're letting some, some bad Christians, some not so real, true, sold out Christians just be in the midst of real, true Christians and then one day you're gonna weed us out and the remnant, we're gonna be the real ones, right? But no, 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 um, just so you understand, the field's the world. The field is the entire world, not your local church. Because honestly, there's no such thing as nominal Christianity. There's no such thing as a Christian who's just kind of in. There are either people who are disciples of Jesus or people who are lying to themselves about it. So the field is the entire world. And just, excuse me, verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. You guys following? You taking notes? Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, there is a hell. Amen. And it's forever. Yes. It was reserved originally for the devil and his demons. But it will also be the place of suffering for those who see and hear and taste and want nothing to do with our God. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who, ear, who, <laughs> he who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus teaches three more parables, and in the parable of the weeds, we learn something very important. It essentially teaches us why evil exists in the world. Why is Jesus allowing evil to exist among his wheat? Why isn't he plucking out the weeds right now? Well, one, because pulling weeds non-believers, wrists pulling believers. Now, what does that mean? 
Does that mean that uh, Jesus uh, would accidentally pluck a Christian? Oh, sorry, you were so close to somebody who looked like a non-believer, you got snatched. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is he's essentially talking about grace. He's saying that if you pull too early, you rob someone of the ability of repenting. There is somebody who's 20 right now making some really stupid decisions that at 40 is gonna hear the call of God and repent and turn to him. And if you pluck him at 20, he won't repent at 40. So you don't pluck too early because some of your family members haven't repented yet and in his grace, he's giving them more time because he loves them. He loves them more than you love them. Amen? He loves them infinitely more than you love them right now. But he loves them. And so he loves them by giving them time. Every person will have an ample opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus because everybody will be exposed to God's kingdom. And the principle of that is, is a weed growing right next to wheat has no excuse to say, I didn't know what wheat looked like. You were living right next to it. It was your neighbor. You worked in the same office with it. You have no excuse at the end of the age on judgment day to say, well, I didn't know. You knew 10,000 different ways and you didn't want him. At the end of the age, there will be no excuses. And the judgment that our God gives for those who have rejected his son will be eternal punishment in hell. It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth that you don't want to go to and you don't want your friends and your family going to. And if it is truly a reality, rather than just something we all think we agree on, then we would choose to live our lives differently if there was an imminent reality that that is what is heading their way when they expire. It would put inside of our heart a desire to want to model what wheat really looks like and not some cheap version of a new weed. Not some fake put on makeup, dressed up, looking nice version of the world, and you can't tell if this is, is that a church? I can't really tell if that's a church. Are those Christians? I can't really tell, because the stuff they're talking about is the same stuff that the world is talking about, and their value system looks the same as this. So why, and why would I ever start joining this when it's exactly what I have now without any of the restrictions? I don't see any of these people walking on a narrow path. They're walking on just as wide of a path as me. Anything goes. Why would I want anything to do with that? What do I need to be saved from? What do I need to be forgiven of? I'm not doing anything different than these people. There's an urgency in our heart, if we understand this parable, that we as wheat should look like wheat and not weeds. Because it preaches the gospel better but it also stands as the excuse at the end of the age for why people will not have any excuse before the king. Because we accurately modeled the beauty of our king before the entire world and didn't hide it because we were too busy trying to make the world like us. So we understand why evil exists in the world. 
But we also understand that the end of the age is going to be final punishment. Therefore, this is serious. You should have ears to hear. Now, in the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, we see how the kingdom of God is um, like something that's completely expanding on a regular basis. At the point when Jesus rose from the dead, even before that, when he was a baby in a manger, the tiniest little seed, the thing that looked insignificant, how is this baby who can't even care for itself, he's gotta be raised by human parents, going to rise up, grow up, beat death, conquer sin and dart. How is that going to happen? Well, all of us are in this room today talking about something that happened over 2,000 years ago in a foreign country we've never been to. You tell me how big that tree has grown. You are choosing to arrange your family and talk about stuff around the dinner table differently because of that baby that was in a manger that grew up to be a man who beat death by coming back from the dead. It's like leaven. When it gets in, you can't stop it. It just continues to expand. It's like a tiny seed that you plant in the ground. And it just sprouts and it becomes the biggest tree in the entire garden. It doesn't stop. Now let's get down to verse 44. This is my favorite verse in all the Bible. If you want to know what's your favorite verse, this is it. We're going to read it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That is a deep well. I plan on spending the rest of my life above ground pulling from that well right there. Because that's not a one-time deal, that's an everyday thing. I am, I am every day trying to find ways to turn in, to forsake, to sell the things in my life that I have treasured as most valuable in my coming up on 40 years of life for something that I found that is greater than that. That's a deep well. He gives another perspective on verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding that one pearl of great value went and sowed all that he had and bought it. And again, I say the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So there's no third container? There's only two containers? There's not nine containers? What about all these other religions in the world? There's only two? So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and will separate the evil from the righteous. And the evil will be thrown into the fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go back to verse 44 real quick. First parable, the farmer. Jesus is teaching a parable about this farmer. And this is why I love this parable because I imagine this farmer, just he's just doing his farmer thing, man. He's just out in the field doing his farmer thing, just tilling up soil, just doing his regular duty. He's just trying to, you know, it ain't much, but it's honest work. And he's just out there plowing. He's just going after it. And all of a sudden, boom, he hits a treasure box. And he digs it up. And the moment he opens it, what he finds changes the rest of his life. He wasn't looking for it, but it found him in a way. 
He didn't know he needed this. He didn't know that there was something more valuable than everything he had already owned. But when he found it, it changed the rest of his life. And in this parable, you've got, this is, these are the kind of people who they're not looking for anything special. They're just trying to live their regular life. But they stumble upon something valuable and, and it becomes so valuable that they've got to have that and nothing else holds worth anymore. Nothing else is as valuable as what they found. And so they just start selling it all. Literally selling it so they become homeless and poor? No, that's not the point. The point is to let go of all the stuff that previously had value because the stuff that you just found, it has more value than anything. The trophy shelf that you have in your wall of all the things you've accomplished that you thought up to this point, man, this is it. Look at all I've accomplished. When, when you treasure Jesus, it's like, man, that's, that's nothing. Might as well give that stuff to goodwill. It doesn't hold any value anymore when I hold it in the light of this. It's like a candle outside when it's sunny. It, I can't tell if it's putting off light or, anything, or not. It, it, has, it, it has no impact when I look at him. But then it's not just people who are kind of doing their daily routine and then stumble upon it. There's also the second group of people who like the merchant, they're looking for something. Their whole life is about finding truth. They're searching, they're reading, they're studying. They're, they, they've already got plenty of pearls, but they're always searching for this new one. And one day they find this pearl of great value and this one pearl, it, it outshines every other pearl they have. All of the accomplishments, everything they've had that they thought would fulfill who they were as a person, would give them some sense of identity. All of a sudden, they realize it doesn't mean anything. This little search you had in middle school and high school to be the champ, to have your name be known, to, to have the one that people are cheering at the end of some game because you made the winning whatever, none of it matters because you have Jesus and he's giving you a new identity and that previous identity that made you feel like something in this world, it doesn't hold weight anymore because this is more important. This principle right here of finding something more valuable than what we've had previously, it's the same principle in both of the parables, but it is the thing that I think should be of most concern in our lives. This idea of forsaking our identity, forsaking our likes, our habits, our preferences, our desires, it's such a small price to pay for learning to treasure Jesus above that stuff. I called a 40-day fast of social media back a couple months ago. It ended on Friday. Some of you guys have gone back to it. I'll be honest with you, 40 days of not having most of that garbage, I'm a happier man than I was 40 days ago. So I didn't go back. It, do, it just, just doesn't hold any weight. If anything, it makes me a worse person. And that's the big fight. We're told that this is social media, but it's not social media. It's people swapping money for your attention. That's what this is. It's about ad revenue. It's about businesses making money off of your attention. And here's the trouble. When you choose to give your attention to one thing, you can't give your attention to something else. And so ultimately you have to make a decision about who's getting your attention because where your attention is directed is where your affection is stirred. And if all of your attention is pointing at stuff that does not matter, then your affections will be stirred for things that do not matter. And that means that you just can't have your affections stirred for him. And you're gonna have to make a decision. What is most valuable? Do I treasure this or do I treasure this? That is the struggle 
That is the joy of the rest of our life walking on this earth. Now, he goes into the parable of the net, and he says the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's going to capture everybody. Whether you like it or not, you're getting caught up in the net. When you're caught up in the net, you're going to get separated into two camps, righteous or evil. There is no middle ground. There is no, well, I'm not, you know, I did more good things than I did bad things. There are only two camps. There are only those who treasure Jesus, and there are those who don't want anything to do with God. So, the question that we get from these parables, how do you feel about Jesus? Do you treasure him above all other things, or are you indifferent like a lot of the people in the town he grew up in? Is he the most lovely thing in your life, or is he just kind of another thing in your life? Is he one among many things, or is he the only thing that stirs your heart? That's what these parables are doing. They're asking us to assess the value system that we have when it comes to the Son of God. Let's close on this. Verse 51. This is how Matthew concludes his chapter. Chapters wrapped later. He didn't do these chapters, but this is how we conclude Matthew 13. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Spoiler alert, they didn't. They didn't understand it. They had no idea. And they said to him, yes. He said, okay. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went from there and came into his hometown and he taught them in their synagogue. So he's teaching them the same thing. So that they were astonished. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not the, his mother called Mary and, and not his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Jews? I went, to, I went to middle school with that kid. Like, like the chairs in our dining room, he made those. Where did he get all this authority and this power? Are not all his sisters with us? And then did this man get all these things? Verse 57, they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. So Matthew concludes this chapter after all these parables with a contrast. The contrast is, one, you can be the kind of people who hear the word, it gets in your heart, it bears roots, it grows and starts to bear fruit, You become so acquainted with it that you're almost like a master of a house that can bring out whatever treasure is needed at whatever specific time. So if you're in a conversation with somebody and they talk about some spiritual principle, you know exactly where that is in the word and you go to it and you can add value to that conversation because you're like the master of a house and you know and understand the secrets and the treasures of the kingdom because that's the only thing you value and that's what you spend all your time learning about and studying. Or you can be like the kind of person who is a master of this thing over here that doesn't really matter in eternal scope. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, you get offended at the way he's working. Now, what are we talking about when it comes to offense? Well, I I think he's talking about people who grew up with him and became so close to him and familiar with him that they could not see him as the king of the universe. And so what's happening here is you're seeing folks who treasure Jesus above all 
and folks who are so familiar with him that their heart has grown cold to him. Now, I've witnessed this in church. I see these kind of people regularly. These are the people who wander from the presence of God, from the fire of his presence, and they become familiar, too familiar with things like rituals and programs and routines and languages and schedules. And they know the rhythm of the church and they can say all the right language, but their heart is cold. They started somewhere along the line eating stale bread rather than fresh bread. They, they stopped seeking him and wanting his presence and his value now, and they started romanticizing the good old days. And they were overwhelmed with the way things used to be. And so they couldn't see God moving now in the midst of the people because it wasn't like it used to be. It's not as good as it used to be. In short, they just surrounded themselves with the things of God. But when God himself showed up, they resented him because they valued something differently than him. They valued his stuff or his ways or the way things used to be or the programs we established based off of some of the things you told us we should do. I have more interest and worth and value tied to this local church with this long history than I do surrendering to you now. My identity as a Christian is tied to this worldly system structure that was set up in your name but has nothing to do with you anymore. Our hearts grow cold. Now this is not a thing that happens overnight. This is a thing that, that happens. it's like a slow burn of compromise. You get offended at this one thing. You get too busy in this one thing. Eventually you start tripping over an offense and you start compromising when you read something in the word that you don't like. You start disagreeing more and more with the, th with the stuff that you hear. Nah, I don't know about that. But you won't go back and study it and you won't surrender and you won't say maybe I'm wrong. You're quick to point the finger but you're, you're, the finger's never pointing at yourself. And eventually when it comes to the holy things of God, they're just common and routine and it's just another thing in your life you gotta do. The only hope for that is that the fire of God breathes on you once again. So this is how we're gonna close today. It's a plea from me to you for two things. One, do everything you can to keep your heart from growing cold to God himself. And if you think you're immune to it, you should take your temperature because your heart is probably already starting to grow cold. You're probably already setting into your ways and being convinced that the way that you know or the, the way that you can rely, you don't need him necessarily because you've got some systems in place that were based off of him and they work for you. Don't let your heart grow cold. Instead, Treasure Jesus above everything in this life. Don't stop letting go of things in this life that don't matter. Make it your full-time job. You gotta empty the home that is inside of your heart of all of the garbage, all the extra furniture, all of the boxes that have, all the cobwebs, it is a full-time job 
to allow the Holy Spirit to do the deep work in your heart to never give up on letting that stuff go. It's the only way to treasure him. And it's the only way to make sure your heart stays warm to his presence. Because the same sun that hardens clay can also melt wax. And if you're not careful, you can get into the presence of God and actually grow harder and not softer. This is not an organization full of programs that we've got to make sure run smoothly. This is a reflection of the family of God and we reflect his values. Amen? And the value in this kingdom that is greater than any other value is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.